welcome one and all to Discovery, Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome to the future, Pete A. You're not allowed to have food in here. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 310, Terra Firma, part two. Comes to you now via stringy Kelpian flesh, high in cholesterol. Pete, some news from the fleet before we leave orbit. Pete, as you know, some of those Star Trek naysayers are saying that Star Trek is being rejected internationally by Amazon Prime. Ah, the end is nigh. News in the last couple days, Lower Decks is coming to Amazon Prime in numerous international regions, including the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, uh, which, you know, of course, sometimes the UK is part of Europe, sometimes it's not, but that's a whole separate thing, Japan and India. So, Pete, that's like, you know... Basically, you know, uh, all the major markets you'd like to be in. Corporate deals for properties that are well-received in one country take a little time to hammer out elsewhere. Who knew? Particularly since, by our reckoning, and we're going to circle back to this uh, later in the episode, by our reckoning, right around now is when Lower Decks probably was meant to be debuting. Uh, When I say right around now, maybe give me three or four weeks leeway, plus or minus. Um, so the fact that probably 18 months ago they were eyeing a first week in December release for the start of Lower Decks, and here we are with all this global chaos later, you know, hammering out a deal for, uh, you know, a month later in the rest of the world, uh, that's kind of okay. <laughs> Not a bad deal at all, uh, as is the fact that uh, I've been able to watch CBS All Access via comcast through an app now on my actual cable and and 60 inch tv whereas i've been watching all this time through uh my laptop um so this can only mean matt i don't know how long comcast has had the cbs all access app i imagine it's it's been a relatively uh recent development but this can only mean that paramount plus's reboot is like imminent and it'll come off my cable and i'll be back to a screen again right um well first of all pete the marriage of cbs all access and comcast does it get much more consumer focused than that uh first of all congratulations that you're watching it on 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 your big tv there uh and yes uh, we were discussing off mic does the paramount plus rebrand happen immediately in the new year and they have the last one or two episodes of discovery under that banner do they wait until discovery has ended do they not even know that discovery is a show (laughs) on the service you know the, the 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 higher ups that are just concerned about the branding and marketing and whatnot who knows pete um, but I guess these are all positive movements. These, this is all in a positive direction. With that, let's head to the mission briefing. The interior hull of the ISS Discovery is abuzz with activity as worker robots weld away, leading us to the reflective corridors and into the brig where Mirror Burnham is thrown into a cell. She begs. Giorgio for death and the honor she deserves. And every moment Giorgio hesitates, she shows how weak she's become. But Giorgio slowly walks through the force field, 
Burnham tells uh, her that uh, Giorgio is retiring to the Caron, but Giorgio says they have to give their subjects something to live for so they won't revolt at the rate that they seem to be doing. Burnham spits in her face. A scarred Awoshikun wants in, but Giorgio raises a hand. Burnham reminds Giorgio there are no spoils for peace. She has a lot to learn. Uh, Giorgio leaves the cell and Burnham is picked up, but not before she tells Giorgio that several species are aligning in a coalition against her and others are joining all the time. Giorgio admits she can't defeat the whole galaxy if they unite against her. Burnham wants to roast them on spits, but Giorgio says the rules of engagement are changing. And Burnham is put in an agonizer booth as Owo turns up the dial. Why can't children listen to what their parents say instead of only learning through pain, Matt? Pete, it's like we used to say over on our Cloak and Dagger podcast, parents, they just don't understand. Uh, by the way, Pete, Giorgio here operating under the philosophy that the more you tighten your grip, the more rebels slip through your fingers. Uh, the story moves on to uh, the Emperor's quarters, where Giorgio tells uh, Captain Killy that the goal is to reforge Burnham as a loyal subject. That would show true power. Indeed, Tilly, the vaunted interrogator, is going to be in charge of getting the goods and Giorgio saying, come back to me, daughter. Uh, we get the credits. Pete, nice, nice, uh, simple trick here. The credits are upside down because it's a world turned upside down. And in blue, nay, negative blue because it is the opposite. <laughs> um, I might sound like I'm having a bit of fun with it. I think that insofar as I'm sympathetic to the idea, even all the way back to prior to Star Trek Enterprise when there was... Um, one of the mirror uh, stories, yeah. there was the desire to change the, the credits. The credits, which I think was the the better version. And obviously you can't rip that off with their credit sequence here. I mean, are you going to go through the trouble of reanimating their credit sequence for the one episode? So I, I get this, this fix. Initially, I'm like, uh, all right, is my TV upside down? No, okay. <laughs> Okay. All right. I get it. That, that droid's upside down. That phaser's upside down. Uh, okay. <laughs> why's the, why's the transporter room on the, on the ceiling? Yeah, it's, it, it's a simple trick, but a good one. The credits tell us that this is of course, story by Bo Yan Kim and Erica Lippold and Alan McElroy with uh, teleplay by Kalinda Vasquez and directed by Chloe Domont. After all of that, Pete, we return to the brig, uh, a little bit of a uh, of a montage here. Burnham is slid some food. Uh, she pushes it to the side. Tilly kindly plans for Burnham to just be force-fed later by Dr. Colber. Now it's agonizer time. She gets some of the zip-zap and then told, enjoy sleeping in the agonizer. We have a montage of Burnham presumably being awoken for more agonizer time, courtesy the the gleeful Owo. Oh, montage of more food swept aside colber bringing her back uh kind of almost sounded like the hypospray sound was a little bit of a you know the the 
paddles, one, two, three, clear shock. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I mean, A, it's space tech. B, it's mirror universe tech. C, whatever. You want to change the sound effect to say she was dead and bzz, we brought her back. It's I all read good. it as the following through of the force feeding. I mean, Awoshikun and uh, Killy are holding her down. Would you hold somebody down to, you know, uh, defibrillate them? Not really. You'd get electrocuted. But these are Terrans. They probably look to get shocked at any chance they could. Yeah, they, they might enjoy it on far too many levels. But <laughs> ultimately, Pete, the voiceover talks about reforging oneself and leaving the past in the past. It does. A battered and blue Burnham comes to as Detmer looks into her captain's cell and tells her to give in, even though they're being listened to. But Lorca, you know, Lorca, he could endure more. Detmer tells her that no one has heard from him, though, and she doesn't think he's coming. It's almost like Detmer is talking to us. Yes, and, you know, debate for later in the episode whether this is uh, the original Mirror Universe timeline or just a construction of the uh, of the mind or um an alternate you know whatever and i think the episode ultimately is operating in a gray area to say hey we want to tell a story we have a magic portal it's it's kind of nebulous what it is but i think that that is the note to us that to whatever degree that this is similar to the original mirror timeline hey why isn't Lorca coming he got caught in the ion storm and he's already in the prime universe uh, time passes yet again. Giorgio is talking to Burnham. You can change. As a child, she would hardly speak, Burnham would, but she'd dream of nightmares. She'd end up sleepwalking to the fireflies. Giorgio has some now. Uh, it leaves her this kind of, you know, globe of fireflies. Pete, I'm not a big bug guy, but everybody likes fireflies, but they kind of looked a little extra creepy, which maybe is just the case in the mirror universe that even fireflies can't just be kind of. <laughs> passive and adorable yeah they're they're poisonous children chase them and they take them out who knows uh nothing matt makes a uh a terran who's uh been force-fed hungrier than um a little globe filled with fireflies so it's it's bugs and bread there for burnham uh, Owo brings Burnham to Giorgio, who has her Kelpian slave, we know as Saru, with her, a character I'm going to refer to from here on out as the Kelpian formerly known as Saru. So we could just call that, let's see, T-K-F-A-S. That's super simple. Indeed. Uh, anyhow, uh, Burnham has her head bowed. She salutes and apologizes. She shares the plan to name her conspirators, change her ways. No, no, got to prove herself more. She will execute the traitors herself with a little help from Detmer. And she is told not to come back without proving uh, herself to the Emperor. Uh, later still, because Pete, we're... A little loosey-goosey with time here. Uh, Landry is cool walking, nay, stomping down the corridor when she's ambushed by Detmer. A firefight ensues with phasers. Detmer seemingly down. That lets Landry keep on walking. But it's a ruse. 
Landry killed Pete. Landry killed again. That is three times in three seasons that Ellen Landry has died on screen in Star Trek Discovery. Has to be some kind of record. Uh Landry does not get the love, even though she kind of gets the love to be brought back. I mean, what Rika Sharma is the Miles O'Brien of the Discovery writers room. She must suffer. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, yes, Rika Sharma was done a little dirty in these two episodes, a little bit more of a da 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 da. She didn't get back. a line in yeah. this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be fair, neither did uh, did uh, Wilson Cruz. Correct. The, the, but the... he did get, his stunt double did get thrown to the ceiling by uh, the Kelpian formerly known as Saru in what was the most over-the-top, laugh-out-loud mirror thing in this episode. All true. All true. We see in the ready room uh, that Burnham and Detmer deliver the badges of the dead Landry, Tinkle Tinkle, as it gets thrown on the the table, and Bryce, and indeed many others. Uh, Detmer says that's all of them. Uh, George O says to Burnham, is that uh, essentially, is that indeed the case? Burnham stabs Detmer, A2, Michael, uh, then adds her badge to the pile. Now it's done. Later, Giorgio and Burnham dine in the Emperor's quarters, and the Kelpian, formerly known as Saru, serves them. Burnham was craving that Kelpian in her cell, but Giorgio says it's too high in cholesterol, and it's stringy, even though they don't really look fatty, but okay. He agrees, of course, like he's tasted it. Uh, Giorgio never lost faith in Burnham and knew that she would see the error of her ways. Uh, Burnham says she came to the light weeks ago, however, stayed in her cell because she's stubborn like mom. Uh, She even heard that Giorgio used back channels to sabotage the coalition. Those silly democratic things are always on the brink, right, Matt? Oh man, it's so, it's it's so 2020. Uh, as for Lorca, uh, is he gone? Uh, Burnham seems to hesitate a little bit. She says, "When I find him, I want to kill him." In retrospect, Pete, that is the episode uh, tipping its hand just a little bit that Burnham is not um, 100% to be trusted, and this might be enough evidence for Giorgio to not give full trust. Um, Perhaps the search can continue for him. He's using the alias uh, Vicar, a.k.a. Substitute, uh, and uh, Burnham is tasked with finding him. The Kelpian, formerly known as Saru, brushes Giorgio's hair, and it's been months. She's in a lovely gold gown here, getting ready for tub time. She only ever wished her daughter would rule with her, uh, and... He is going to remain in Giorgio's service, but he feels the Vaharai coming. He would be honored if she called him, but she will do no such thing because it's not an end. She instructs him to lock himself away when the madness comes, and in a few days, he'll still be alive. He thinks this is a fable, but she witnessed it with a Kelpian in another time and place named Saru. 
He survived it. It made him stronger, even a captain of a starship. Uh, she, Giorgio, has put a lot of trust in this Kelpian. Um, and the uh, judgment here that she's shown that she's, again, grown, become something else. The Kelpian wonders about his sister, his family, all of whom would still be alive. But she tells him to survive, to honor them, to teach others, to avenge them. He does not think that she is Terran from the way that she speaks. Um, he wants her to return where she's from, lest they kill her. But she says, this is her home now and forever. And she will make it what it needs to be. And that's how she'll survive. Uh, now, lead me to my bath. And we see the bracelet for the first time in a long time. And it is green. Yes, Pete, that Apple Watch Georgia Death Edition still uh, in the clear, despite a lot of time uh, having transpired. The search for Lorca continues. Uh, there was a courier signal sent from Risa. Pete, what alias are they trying to chase down? That would be Carl Nalian. Ah, well, regardless, it is the alias for Dugan. Uh, they quickly warp to Risa with uh, Tilly really questioning the need for the Emperor to, uh, to, to you know, avail herself of such things. Uh, but ultimately, the ship finds a Class A shuttle getting ready. Pete, as they say in the Popo business, getting ready to rabbit. Uh, it gets disabled, uh, and uh, he is hailed. They ask, where is Lorca? He says, with shaky cam and much smoke in the background, that uh, they'll never find Lorca. He's helping rally the Klingons and the Romulans. What could bring them together? The promise of Giorgio's head on a spike. Uh, Pete, he did say spike. I prefer the phrase head on a pike just a little bit better. But, uh, you know, tomato, tomato. Uh, he gets beamed to the brig for interrogation. And here, Pete, the story does not dilly-dally. Uh, Giorgio and Burnham go to the brig. Uh, Dugan tells Giorgio that actually she's not that terrifying. By the way, you can't trust Burnham. With that, Burnham shoots him through the force field which Pete, yeah we're going to talk about mirror universe force fields but r.i.p mirror carl we barely knew ye <laughs> um he gets uh pardon me after burnham shoots him uh she aims the phaser at Giorgio. all the assembled crew there i'm talking your reese i'm talking your nilson i'm talking your culber pete they're all part of the rebellion uh burnham again seethes saying how it has changed. Um, however, Giorgio still doesn't fully trust Burnham. Uh, Tilly enters with a phaser, uh, as do some Kelpians. One is Saru, one is uh, probably Doug Jones's makeup stunt double, um, or, or stunt double in makeup. Um, now, Pete, if one wanted to be a little overly taxing of the episode, one might note that Burnham just could have seen Tilly enter and then phaser Giorgio, but i understand story considerations and such we're not going to allow that burnham and Giorgio fight blade to blade even if Giorgio cell. notes that it does yes uh it doesn't have to be this way ultimately burnham gets a sword to the belly in a pretty good cgi effect mm -hmm. uh Giorgio has a knife to her shoulder and pete Giorgio 
loses consciousness to end the act. After the act break, she's awake. <laughs> the Kelpian, formerly known as Saru, cradles her. He's passed through Baharai. That's what enabled him to storm the room with his stunt double and a fully automatic phaser and then toss Culper's stunt double to the ceiling. She passed through. Wait, Carl is telling us she passed through. That's what you do with the doors. On the newspaper there, it tells us now that Emperor Giorgio's fate is uncertain. Extra, extra, hear all about it. Uh, Carl, you know, his old friend, uh, their old friend, um, they, uh, they sent her to Terra for months, but was any of it real? The answer, of course, is on her wrist. Um, the bio data there tells her that it was three months, but Burnham notes that Giorgio was unconscious less than a minute. But we have so many selves, Matt. There's a version of her that is breathing her last breath in a mirror universe, but that version doesn't fit so well anymore. Giorgio continues to phase. Wait, you said this would fix her, but you can't just live in doorways. Who is he, Matt? Uh, in a great reveal, one that I think many of us anticipated as a very possible, uh, nay, probable outcome, but he is with the return of the voice work of the late Bart LaRue. I am the guardian of forever. Uh, really, really fun moment. Pete, I can't imagine anything this week in the world of science fiction popular culture could possibly outshadow this return of this iconic uh, being. Um, whatever could out, outdo that, this, this callback to, to decades and decades ago, what could outdo it, I do not know. But within the episode, the wooden door explodes uh, really nice effect where you know some of the splinters are right up by the camera. Then they pull back to reform that that uh, stone portal that we know so well. Uh, and indeed, perhaps my teensiest complaint, it would have been cool if they had the portal just there for a second. You could see the snow behind it. But no, no, no the portal remains open with all its energy whooshes and stuff. And uh, Pete, thus the reveal. The swirling vortex, great, great effect. Something they're already showing in promotional footage. So I guess, I guess they're really worried that some other pop culture thing that we will podcast tomorrow and make available for patrons, and then everybody else will hear on Monday, uh, Amando Monday. But Matt, you know, because it's at this point in a story that you go back to the ship and get the other part of the story that started in the last episode. Adira tells us that the Kelpians crashed in the middle of the radioactive nebula. That's the Verubin nebula uh, 125 years ago. Do they even have a system left to hack? But Stamets says that something is still sending out the distress call. He continues to reroute power, which draws Reno and her black licorice into engineering. He hasn't seen her since the dawn of time. 
aka their arrival at Federation slash Starfield headquarters. Pete, with that book enters, he's got himself a subspace range extender, you know, as one does when they are a courier, sometimes working with the Emerald Chain. Where did he piece all this together? Well, he's read the field manual, then decided to read ahead. Pete, he read the technical manual. All the good fans read the technical manual. Uh, he bleeps the bloops, extends that subspace uh, range with his subspace range extender. All of a sudden, data is being gathered. It all just happens so fast. It's time, says Stamets, to go update Captain Saru. We head back to the planet where the now appropriately named Guardian notes that he is a space-time portal. He used to welcome these visits, you know, occasionally. If you mess up, go back and fix your thing. NBD, as the kids say, on the subspace network. Um, then the Temporal Wars came along, and the Guardian was actually used to hurt others. Uh, it wasn't pretty, so now he's elsewhere. He's he's changed his location, hiding out, if you will. How was he found? The Sphere data plus Federation databases found him. He gives a little point to the head and point to you to say, bingo, bango. Um, but still, though, Pete, Giorgio is still phasing, still dying. Then there is the reveal here that she wasn't sent back to be cured it was to weigh her to test her to see if she had changed yeah and it's with this in mind here uh that if she stayed there would be obvious problems got to figure out what her course would be and ultimately it's this idea that she she still does not belong in the here and now she needs to be sent elsewhere uh, but wait, the whole adventure that you just took me through, she says, um, things might not have changed. It was a failure. The point, though, points out the Guardian, is that she tried for peace. She saved a Kelpian, and he's going to be the spark of a new rebellion. Uh, with that, he's ready to send her. But wait, wait, not back to Terra. She's going to go back to a time when the Mirror Universe and Prime Universe were aligned. But wait, Pete, if she's not going back to the Mirror Universe, and he mentioned the Mirror Universe and the Prime Universe, oh my goodness, Pete, might we see some other old friends in the near-ish future as planned? Then COVID came and the spinoff is not happening in the next four or five months. It's not going to be on CBS All Access uh, in, in the months soon, but... Bottom line, Pete, once she's there in some sort of prime universe spot where she might fit in, <clears throat> we're going to talk about when that is in theories. I think we all know when that might be. Um, but she's not going to fall apart, anatomically speaking. Indeed, Pete, he uses the newspaper metaphor to talk about how the forecast is going to be. Uh, he uses kind of weather stuff. But I think what he's really saying is, Pete, the forecast is for a great spinoff tale, one of heartache <laughs> and adventures and such, maybe old friends coming back. What did happen to Mary Chifo? What did happen to Shazad Latif? And will we ever see Javed Iqbal again? I continue to follow uh, at real Javid Iqbal on Twitter. He's he's a real actor, Matt. He just needs another shot here in the Star Trek universe. Uh, all of this setting up, again, what what we've known for a long time, that uh, Michelle Yeoh leaving this show, spinning off to her own Section 31 show, 
run by uh, Bo Young Kim and Erica Lipholt, which we are really anticipating and, and can't wait for. Uh, but but now we get the, the goodbye, because this is goodbye between her and Burnham. And Carl leaves to give them that opportunity here. And this is a goodbye befitting the really cultural icon that is Michelle Yeoh, uh, given her story on this show, the, the chance to breathe. And who would have thought, Matt, we, we talk all the time about how Discovery um, delightfully reinvents itself. You know, there, there was the, the show that was the, the two-part premiere, and then it was... Uh, Michael Burnham destroyed the universe and created the the Klingon War. And then it was the first mirror uh, saga. And then it was the Red Angel. And, and you know, now we're, we're in the future, uh, beyond where we've ever been. And that Mirror Giorgio has been there for it, either in the background or, you know, these, these guest shots for all of that. But who would have thought going back to the pilot, you know, back when we thought Michelle Yeoh would be our captain, that the mirror version would go through this journey. And that's what this scene is all about. It is Pete. And, oh, Giorgio says, sorry, I never told you about San, um, but we're not going to focus <laughs> on that now. Uh, it was a really, really good story. Maybe a story for another time. Wink, wink. Uh, but Pete, more to the heart of the matter, there's never been anyone in Giorgio's like, uh, life like this Burnham. Um, oh, and a little bit of warning here. This era is more Terran than the past was. Perhaps Burnham will be captain one day. Uh, with that, we get the Vulcan salute, the final goodbye, and Giorgio steps through. And that's that, at least for the Giorgio uh arc which thusly ends in the ready room here with admiral vance we get the requisite updates on the kelpian ship uh it's all coming into uh view here but wait you used chain technology that is not protocol even though you should have done the thing that Burnham went and did that I gave you a hard time that you didn't do. So Vance continues to feel really kind of wishy-washy. Yeah, it was an odd... This whole scene has an odd bit of finger-wagging, but let's start with the whole technology thing. It It, it felt like it was setting up you know but wait this is the double cross or the booster is going to have the virus or something like that it felt like it wanted to suggest that but it didn't have enough oomph behind it for me to say oh man pete next week that's when they lose all systems because book didn't know or book is a double agent like it didn't quite have enough oomph while also being so front and center in terms of like oh i can't believe you use that thing um then once Book steps away, uh, he steps away because Burnham is back and Burnham is alone. And and Book uh, and Saru recognize that you know Burnham has now had the the, the loss of Giorgio, though they don't quite know what it is. But anyhow, Book leaves. Then there's this 
further weird kind of wishy-washy finger wagging you know uh vance saying you know essentially so you just want to see kelpians right oh, oh oh no you're actually just being a pro and using a variety of resources to get to the bottom of this mystery that we all agreed last time was an important thing because of the song and the signal and all like these are all good questions but just kind of like Saru, you just want to see like babes from your planet, right? Oh no, oh okay. Uh, g- give me more next week. You just want to see that babe played by the actress who played your sister. It's it, it's very strange. Like Vance does not come off great, and I know that we've had times where Vance is is tough grandpa. Um, and I don't mean to suggest that age wise. I just mean like you know when when the the the, the paternal head of the family comes and says you've re- you're really not doing things the right way you go oh man this is the voice of experience even if i disagree like oof there's times he's done that and it's legit or it's like i understand why he's so protective even though i know saru's a good guy like this is it's it's a very strange scene i don't want to over- i don't want to be overly down on it but it's like are we just checking boxes here are we setting up for next time are we giving just a summary much as the 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 search for this ship you know started with let's have a very clear summary kelpian crash nebula 125 years ago like is this just the the wrap-up of that i'm i'm not quite sure but i know it ends with when you get more information you get in touch with me directly next thursday on cbs all access for episode 311 the update comes that burnham is coming back alone so the implication of course to everybody in the room that it didn't work book is concerned and of course he needs to go be there for burnham and yes like you're saying here vance and and saru the discussion of books tactics you know the book who is not a starfleet and all of that uh and as you mentioned before the the finger wag that he just wants to see those hot sisterly serana vibes of his people uh burnham back on the ship here if i may pete you you reminded me of something i'd wanted to mention in that earlier scene where it's kind of like hey look book helped and he had a book really helped he'd like to stay and it's kind of like vance kind of is like well if you're ha- I'm, I'm i'm making up the dialogue here but it's like well if you want to stay you need to be a starfleet guy and book says well maybe my non-starfleet perspective was useful pete to me this is a distinction without a difference mm-hmm. book has his life experience and he's got his ship and he's got whatever tech you know like if you're in a story jam five episodes from now you go oh book actually has a holographic blah blah, blah. You know, like he has enough there where it it, it, it it can give you some story resources. Whether he's specialist book, helper outer, that's not part of Starfleet, <laughs> or whether he's just Mr. Booker, or whether he's Lieutenant, uh, you know, provisional You call Lieutenant him Cleveland Booker. Book Booker, doll. <laughs> but I mean, my point is this. Again, it's a distinction without a difference. Regardless of whatever name, pre- whatever, whatever uh, uh, honorary title precedes the name Booker, whether it is Lieutenant or Mr. or Specialist, he still is the same guy with the same experience, the same trust level or not, the same tech that can be used or not. Like, who cares whether, whether like, well, have you properly done a Kobayashi Maru? Like, Vance, who cares? They just, 
they're, they're, they're running down this mystery that you said was cool. They're doing their mission and he helped out. What, what's, what is this scene? We can assume, but we can't definitively say that Vance as a representative of both Starfleet and the Federation, that this is why things went the way they did on top of the burn perhaps. But again, I have to inflect a question. So books doing his thing. He's the guy who can comfort Burnham here. Uh, the, the bad news, what that she does not share uh, and then updates Saru that uh, she is gone, but not deceased. He gets the full story here. Um, the information that she'll never return, except Matt coming to Paramount Plus, the Section 31 spinoff date DVD. Uh, and we'll talk about anticipated or the previously anticipated dates i guess properly in theories but pete we need to wrap up this episode okay in the mess hall the crew toasting Giorgio's loss she was a badass she had the best walk nothing intimidated her and she had no tact she was always honest with glorious barbs and a pain in the ass however pete to burnham she was a friend and an unexpected gift to philippa they sadly toast to end the episode With that, Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Let's start by talking about that that raging person, the Mirror Burnham. You can't trust her. Then you can trust her, which, of course, you can't trust. Taryn, to the core, never having met the real Mirror Burnham, this projection, if you will, though three months of time actually passed for Giorgio in her weighing by the guardian of forever every bit the threat it needed to be yeah and again i am so impressed with sonica martin green's um performance here yet another version of burnham and uh, i mean Pete, I'm no actor. I would think that to get that angry uh, on screen probably is easier than not because it's raised voices and you kind of get the blood flowing and whatnot. But to do so take after take, I mean, there's only so much yelling you can do. There's only so much, you know, kind of grunting and gesticulating and whatnot. It's just a phenomenal performance out of her. The range of her performance continually and, and what continues to disappoint me are the complainers this is the burnham show and all she does is cry um when as the star of the show she's rightly featured and you know let's put michelle yo aside for a moment because you're talking about an international movie star uh, compared to Sinequa Martin Green at this point, uh, who's getting spun off to her own Star Trek show. But um, yeah, Sinequa Martin Green, just, you know, every moment as this mirror version of, of Burnham, the, the only one it seems we'll ever get, helping us to realize why she was this force to be reckoned 
in Giorgio's life. The scene where uh, Prime uh, Burnham returns, you know, and, and hugs Book and, and by implication is crying. I mean, I think that the, the, the complaints, here's my point, Pete, the complaints of the crying Burnham, I think probably come from uh, emotionally stunted men who they're completely uh, by men. It's funny. I've not seen one female viewer complain about it. So that in and of itself tells you it's coming from a very stilted perspective. And probably emotionally stunted men who have not simply spent enough time around women in general to be able to form a more conclusive uh, opinion of the gender. Um, and that's without even kind of factoring in you know in general it's possible nay perhaps probable but uh either for cultural reasons or biological or whatever that, that men and women process emotions differently and that's okay and you know you don't always need to see yourself every single person who wish every single man who watches star trek who wishes he was as cool and powerful and smart and not impacted by emotions and could be mr data you know you don't need to see you see versions of robotic whiteness of yourself all the time. I think we can get away with, you know, this Star Trek show having a different perspective. But Pete, moving on to real threats, not the fake threats of if a girl sees you crying. Uh, we have Dugan, who, of course, has the, the moniker Carnelian, who I think you are proposing is, uh, is somehow impacted by Mirror Carl. It's, it's, come on, to put himself in her vision in her weighing um was a really interesting way to go about it i mean for all the mentioning of Lorca and the non-appearance of of Lorca, okay and who knows what incarnations of this story had uh jason isaacs whizzing back to toronto for you know 10 days to film a a his part in a two-parter and they couldn't quite make that land. So to put the hairpiece on uh, the, the Carl actor here, get him in a different wardrobe and do the shaky cam, uh, you know, ship shot and then kill him off in the brig all, all serves the story. Well, Pete, I will point out at least for memory alpha, uh, they have, um, actor Mon Montreal actor, Daniel cash as playing Dugan. And that's separate from Paul Gifoil, uh, playing the guardian forever and Carl. So perhaps it's the, not the same actor. Are we sure about that? Well, I think as sure as memory alpha can be, I I'll, I'll take a peek on IMDB, which of course we know, um, at times can be imperfect. Pete, maybe this is the next uh, Javed Iqbal. I don't know, but um, Daniel Cash definitely has a has a real resume and not the fake one. He's been, uh, oh my goodness, Pete, Private Spunkmeyer in Aliens. What? Uh, he was Spunkmeyer? Yeah. Um, so uh, more recently, Letters to Santa Claus, in which he played Kevin Kevins. <laughs> um, so... I'm pretty sure it's a separate actor, but I would, I would uh, certainly, uh, I'm on board for the idea that maybe there's meant to be that implied similarity um, visually. But regardless, Pete, let's also formally look at the Guardian of Forever, formerly Carl, uh, as a threat this episode. 
it's really interesting how they chose to reintroduce the the guardian and again you said that we had pretty much figured it out but to put behind it the toll of the temporal war that everybody's looking for him to kill other people so you maintain what you had in the original series uh and now he's in hiding he's on the run yet the sphere data was able to figure out where he might be to give Giorgio this chance so it again done with the most respectful um tone towards what's come before and at the same time making it their own with that pete let's set our sensors to some long-range theories here so a couple of thoughts here pete now i say this with love towards star trek discovery does this story ultimately deflate because it's a massive what if really without any consequences for anyone other than Giorgio? Does the inner light deflate? Um, no. And I'll tell you why. First of all, as a self-contained story, it is, um, has more of a beginning, middle and end and more of an alternate existence for Picard. Furthermore, I think we judge the inner light by the TV rules of its day, uh, everything self-contained, and the fact that, oh, oh man, the major lasting effects from Picard are he plays the song another time with a lady friend, um, and you continue to see the Resican flute as a prop uh, in the quarters. Like, that's pretty monumental for the kind of storytelling they had then. Um, to look at it now... I don't know, again, I don't want to be overly down on this episode, but I just felt like I felt like the the show, the the story, if it's a living thing, as well as the production and the people involved in it, love this character of Philippa Giorgio Mirror, uh, and love the actress so much that ultimately the show kind of sacrifices story to just revel in the character. Um again, that's not to say that it was a boring episode, but some of the things here where it's just kind of like skipping through time and some of these, I don't know, there's a certain level of, of razzmatazz here that doesn't go particularly deep. Well, if only we realized, Matt, when it originally aired, that the inner light actually launched a spinoff for Picard all these years later. Well, and I think that that, I mean, you kid, but I think that that ultimately is the, the weight that the episode carries and here's what i would propose was the original pre-covid um plan we know of course that this season wrapped filming uh in march um perhaps wrapped a tad early because of covid that we don't know but the, we know this definitively season... they wrapped the week before there you go um so wrapped in march the plan was come may i think late may but come may the section 31 show would start filming so from and we also know that the lower decks release was moved up um, frantically. So uh, to accommodate just re releasing something and also to give discovery more time uh, to finish special effects at a slower pace because it was all done at home. So I think Pete that originally this season of discovery was meant to air 
August to November, take a month off. You know how CBS All Access likes to, to do that, to stretch out the billing period. Side note, turns out they were just ahead of the game of it, uh, or ahead of the game with that, because now Disney Plus is doing that. Um, but Discovery, August through November, month off, then Lower Decks, December into January. And then I'm proposing, Pete, that you'd have Section 31, which would have started filming again in May, that about nine or ten months later in the neighborhood of March that show could have at least started to air episodes. Maybe you're not completely done with the effects for, you know, whether it's an eight episode or 10 episode or 13, whatever it is, maybe you're not completely done with the end of the season when you start to air it. But I think the idea of off Giorgio goes and from, from Thanksgiving to St. Patrick's day, uh, you know, you're doing lower decks or the, or, or there's no star Trek uh, for a couple of weeks here and there, but just in that little bit of time, you go from this bounce to what's next. Maybe even get a, a Section 31 uh, trailer at the end of this episode. But of course, in reality, none of that has happened and the show has yet to start to film. So the bounce that this episode is handing off has yet to be picked up. One of the, I say, minor surprises to come out of the Disney Investor Day presentation a little bit more than a week ago was that Michelle Yeoh is in Shang-Chi. So to what extent did being cast in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the second time, remember she's in the one post-credit scene for Guardians of the Galaxy, um, impact the spinoff for this streamer that's going to be on its second name pretty soon? Uh, we don't know. We know that Section 31 is still a thing. Uh, it's not been uh, publicly cast other than Yo. Uh, we don't know where Giorgio went other than a time when the Mirror Universe and the Prime Universe are closer together. She says in the episode that this is her home now and forever. I don't think we can believe that because the character doesn't know that it'd be an interesting choice if section 31 is set in the mirror universe and section 31 is the operation within the Terran empire that does exclusively good and, and are nothing but goody two shoes as opposed to the section 31 that operates in the gray in our prime universe. And again, another potential read on it. Um, I want to watch this show. I am dying to podcast this show. I want more information. Obviously, the showrunners um, in Bo Yun Kim and Erica Lippold are bound by what they can say about it. So, hey, Alex Kurtzman, please tell us more. Yeah, I think the last Kurtzman ha had said in all the fall time kind of online uh, conventions was that the writing room has continued and whatnot. Um, I still continue to, to, to live in the theory, particularly with Carl saying, you know, you're going to get sent back to a time where the prime universe is closer to the mirror universe, but you're not going back to the mirror universe. Um, I think she's going back in time to the prime universe. To me, what makes the most sense as a production is for it to be the 23rd century, for it to be right where discovery had left off from, you know, within a year or two. What are some of the production benefits of that? Well, if Discovery Season 4 has new uniforms, what are you going to do with the old uniforms that were super expensive? Oh, wait, 
ship them to the Section 31 production because yeah, it's the same time the period. What are you going to do with all the old timey phasers? Because season four, you're getting new phaser. Send them there, you know, and so See, forth. This is and why so forth. I love podcasting with Matt because he he thinks about the production stuff that my mind largely glosses over. And I mean, add to it if Section Thirty One is filmed in Canada. I mean, it literally could just be. A, I mean, it could be filmed at Pinewood, Pinewood, Toronto. It literally could be move it all from stage 12 to stage eight, you know, or, or the trucks that have been, the, the wardrobe trucks have been parking outside of uh, stage 12. Well, now you hang a right, you go three stages down. There you go. Um, you know, th- these are, these are, these are real things. And that's part of what I find so interesting thinking about film and TV versus just purely written stuff, you know, uh, or, or drawn for that matter, you know, to draw, to draw Spider-Man is, to, is the same as to draw any other character, uh, aside from the webbing that every Spider-Man character hates uh, to draw over and over and over. But, you know, my point being, it's all pencil. It's all digital pencil, right? It's all the number of words when you're typing a script. A real consideration of, well, crud, to start up a show, but wait, we can actually, you know, spend that startup money on Discovery Season 4 and transfer everything else on over, and it's already made. Um it's kind of win-win-win as a real-world production, and it if it's not Canada, then you just ship sense. it wherever. Yeah, yeah. Um, Matt, could we get a mirror Reno, please? Um, it w- sure, and it will be interesting because we've now had what we had. A, we had multiple episodes. We had a mirror universe arc in season one, and then here we are in season three with a, you know, a return to it again. There's this story asterisk, how much of this happened, how much of it was true. And I think because it's a Guardian story, we can say it ultimately doesn't matter. Just like, were we that concerned? You know, we're, we're, I mean, I guess what? An alternate universe was created when McCoy, blah, 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 Edith Keeler, blah, blah, blah. Then they undid it. So what happened with that alternate universe? Uh, I I guess it's still out there. You know, we kind of, we haven't cared about it since. So let's not care about this um, alternate universe branch universe whatever um but season four season five could we return again and 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 do that i mean absolutely that's the fun of the mirror universe is it's the license to not make sense because it's the the odds to get the universe that we're in the prime universe the odds are already insurmountable to get there but it's it's the one way things bounce you then repeat it again with the mirror universe except colber wears guy liner and you know, the costumes are a little bit different. Sure, go for it. It's just, it, it's only a handful of episodes and you go back to normal. I'm oddly more attracted to Mirror Nilsson than I am to regular Nilsson. Like, there's there's a lot of questions that, that come out of that Mirror Universe, but we, we do need a Mirror Reno. Uh, could we also, I don't know, maybe get Cronenberg, Kovich for the whole update scene? I know Vance is a hologram. You can't have two guys in the hologram in the ready room, you know, he was so into the fate of George O. He spent so much of his time on screen concerned with her and he doesn't even get the update that she is gone. It has me worry Pete that his purpose in this season, uh, merely was expositional guy, um, explainer of, explainer of problems that we did not know fully were problems, but we can now backtrack and say 
every bit of trouble that Giorgio had was set up for this episode, was initiative to say, you must step through or you die. Then when you come back, having had a great adventure uh, back where she came from, you can then say, you must spin off to the Section 31 show or you die. And, and apparently all of the Kovic stuff was in service of that. That makes me a little disappointed because he's so great as, you know, in the last week I've been on a big, you know, season one X-Files kick and I'm rediscovering, you know, that show, some episodes I haven't seen since I was 13, etc. But like Kovic appeared as cigarette smoking man meets Deep Throat from the X-Files and all this mystery and potential and how deep does the conspiracy go? And not knowing what the next three episodes have in store for us, it appears uh, Kovic was there to say, well, when the universe is this, and then here's your, and then uh, I'm terribly mysterious. I'm also famous director who, you know, uh, is also, uh, you know, penny poor. So I will do acting stuff and to help do my scripts and, uh, and lives in the area. Canada. Yeah. And lives in the area. And, and Bob's your uncle. It's all kind of win, win, win. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad he's, we back know he's coming season. back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about, the Osira desperate for dilithium Kelpian ship in uh, a dilithium nursery in the middle of this nebula. Like that's not all going to come to a head in these final three episodes, right? Yeah. I feel like season two for sure. Um, and maybe to a certain degree, season one, but season two for sure. Um, I feel like there was, fat on the bone of the end of the season and i'm not saying that this that that you know the last episode of season two was too long or that that two-parter had too much um i I think in the last four or five episodes of season two there was like 20 or 30 minutes of too much waiting and not enough getting there i kind of worry that we might be in a similar position for the next three episodes in terms of you know, as you were saying, Pete, Osiris coming back. There's going to be the big battle against the Emerald Chain. Uh, dilithium continues to be the currency of the realm. We're at a dilithium potential solver with where the Kelpian ship is. We also may have a dilithium solver with the spore drive, which seems to be oddly quiet. Like if I was Vance, I'd be like, Seru, it's awesome that you want to keep the crew together. I understand the show is called Star Trek Discovery. Um, every scientist who's available is now going to study this. This is to to take, says Vance, I'm imagining, to use an old Earther phrase, <laughs> we are going to Operation Warp Speed the, the, the heck out of this in order to literally do warp speed with the spore drive because after that, then we can solve all the problems of everything. Um, but yeah, I feel like there's a well laid out, you know, the the dilithium fight whether it's a solution or not and the big battle with the emerald chain which we've been told it's not exercises it's actually getting ready for an offensive and we have just enough story to to handle that maybe even a little bit more yeah um and then we've got the whole thing here with moving through force fields in the mirror universe that hold some characters in that other characters can just pass at will we do this a lot on other shows. It's rare that it happens on Star Trek. And I wonder if it's not a factor of too many cooks in the kitchen of this episode, 
because it's uncharacteristic. But Burnham's in a force field. Giorgio slowly walks through it like, all right, it could be taxing to her, but she puts up with the pain and doesn't wince and then just walks out of it. And later Burnham pulls uh, her back into it for a, a knife fight that turns into a knife sword fight. So it's like a line of dialogue. Oh, if you can put up with it, you can do it. Or it's coded biometrically that it won't let Burnham out. Like what, what's the deal with the mirror universe force fields? I think that if we had the honor of having Boyan Kim and Erica Lippolt and Alan McElroy here, they would probably say, guys, it's clearly implied, like, j just as we're not going to explain how warp drive works, we're not going to, to stop and say, I mean, this is classic Gene, Gene Roddenberry. People in police shows, people, I'm getting this from the making of Star Trek book that I've read enough times that this is just burned into my head. In police shows, they don't say, this is a 38 revolver. It holds six bullets like they just use it and you see bang bang and on the other end somebody goes oh and now you see how it works they probably would say guys that can't you see that's just how it works come on that's what gene used to do there's one problem though we have 50 years of this is how force fields work and you're right that we're either a line away from it is there maybe some hand waving because mirror universe i mean i guess but it's not consistent with everything that's come before it which i know sounds dangerously like you know you know neck beard and also why people cry you know but it's it's star trek there's star trek force fields we have some rules this bent the rules we're we're confused it might be kept behind a force field matt but for just a dollar a month you can get yourself into i mean what's the opposite of a of a break uh, a safe of content at patreon.com slash fantastic geek our deep appreciation particularly this time of year where people have a lot going on uh, but our appreciation to continue to be listener supported and uh you know we have some of our own podcast bills coming in in the near future so all of that support appreciated and uh as ever our thanks with that pete let's head to hailing frequency hailing frequency is open sir Pete, we go to our Twitter poll. The choices, Pete, I meant them to be deeply coded, okay, to have a 4321 by implication. Um, and here's what people said What signal now? Got 0%. That was the secret one. Upside down? Got 4%. That was the two. Out of time? Got 12%. That was the three. And by the power of Carl, door emoji got 84%. So look, Pete. We, we tricked some of those haters by taking away their, their numbers and asked them to, to vote via emotion. Um, our esteemed pal, Jen Phillips, that's Jen Phillips 721 on Twitter, who also goes by Jennifer hashtag Fennec Lives, uh, because it's been a heck of a week. Uh, she says, of this episode, best episode of the season, James the Sagacious, indeed Pete, ever sagacious, says, great episode, no real surprises, but very entertaining. Looking forward to section 31 and more screen time for the rest of Disco's amazing cast. Uh, we heard from Beyond Trek Podcast uh, saying uh, 1.21 giga deaths, which that, that, that legitimately is making me chuckle. 
Uh, we also heard from Spider Ham Lincoln. That's at Tess LC139. Terra Firmer 2 was a fine little send off for Mirror Giorgio. Uh, will the first scene in Section 31 feature Mirror Giorgio walking through a turbolift door onto the bridge of a Section 31 stealth ship? Ooh, Pete, sold in the room. I love that. Spider Ham Lincoln continues. I liked uh, Mirror Giorgio's redemption, though it was more like a character evolution. Was her weighing on her head, or did she actually alter the events of her own past? We may never know, and it doesn't really matter. This was Mirror Giorgio Giorgio's arc. The Guardian of Forever slash Carl was a lovely nod to TOS, though I was hoping for an explanation of the name Carl. His booming voice taken from Sitting on the Edge was a nice touch, and I had no problem with this plot device. I liked the triple-crossing Mirror Burnham and the life change in Mirror Saru, reminiscent of In Every Revolution, There Is One Man's Vision, from the TOS's Mirror Mirror, and Smiley O'Brien in DS9's crossover, a nice homage of sorts. Although he wasn't in the ep, uh, now I think Kovich is secretly with Section 31 and was focused on getting Mirror Giorgio back to the past where she helps shape the organization's future. Pete, your thoughts on that theory, which is a darn good one. I make it so is all I can say to that. I mean, we want uh, Kovich to be the, the Bosley to to yo yo is all the charlie's angels by the way she doesn't need two others i mean as you posited before we can bring mary chifo in either as a, a different character i'd like maybe she's the first klingon ever in starfleet but before there was Worf, you know disgraced chancellor turned uh you know klingon Starfleet operative could be great. Okay. Shazad Latif, uh, Javid Iqbal. Okay. Uh, real actor though. He is very choosy about his roles. Um, and whoever else is, is going to fill out that show. Yeah. Make it happen. Uh, we also heard from boldly going wherever that's K C L Y L E one on Twitter. Great episode. The ending wasn't very surprising, but it was well done. Reno love seeing Saru using his Kelpian abilities. Great call back to TOS really thought we'd see Lorca fantastic season. By the way, Pete, I feel like there's a through line with these responses, which I think is befitting the episode, which is acknowledging that this was not the greatest episode of Star Trek ever, acknowledging that this was not the greatest constructed 45 minutes of TV in terms of beginning, middle, end, setup, payoff, all that stuff. But you get a whole lot of leeway when it's the mirror universe because you get to be wacky and alternative and all of those things. Like you get to have fun, even though this wasn't drumhead. What is the nature of justice and consciousness? You know, it's you just get to have fun, which that's okay too. I read a take where somebody was like the mirror universe isn't star Trek and I don't like it. The mirror universe has always been where though it's dark and terrifying, we tend to have more fun than we have with the regular show. It can strangely be lighter and sillier and it is all about murder and sex and sex murder and murder sex. Um, and and that's cool like that's fun and yeah they don't need to be super groundbreaking i mean you just named a character smiley o'brien okay like yes it's not groundbreaking but gosh can we have 
we can have fun with Star Trek. Right. Like, you know, how many uh, Star Trek, you know, main main credited characters um, have been killed off? Not many. I mean, you know, Spock came back, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Pete, I'll never forget the DS9 Mirror Universe episode where Odo just gets exploded, and that's it. Every other Mirror episode on DS9, he's just dead. Explodo. Like, you get to do that. You get to go, and now he's dead for forever for any time you want to do one of these stories. Uh, Versus, you know, you're not going to kill off Odo in season four, uh, you know, unless you want to pull a Terry Farrell and be like, actually, my future is playing somebody on Decker. Um, (laughs) but, But that's a whole other that's a whole other side note. Sometimes you take um, yourself out of the, the mirror universe, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's light, it's jaunty and doing it's a wonderful mirror universe makes it even more unpredictable. So, so we can do that. So I, again, to everybody else, not writing into our episode cause they clearly get it uh, to everybody else. Just lighten up. I'm glad you mentioned it's a wonderful life because I did see some chatter on Twitter. I don't believe in any of these responses. I'm not intending to call anybody uh, out here, but you know, like, Oh, this was clearly intended to be right before Christmas because it's, it's a wonderful life for Giorgio. No, this, 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 this season <laughs> was meant to snow, come out. Matt. Yeah. Like th- this was not meant to come out. Now there was COVID and Star Trek is in upheaval, not major, not, you know, chaos on the bridge. It's the same upheaval that every every production in in Hollywood and in North America for TV and film is going through. But this was not the Christmas episode of Star Trek Discovery. This was an episode they made where there was snow because they filmed it in Canada in the winter, you know. Anyhow, Pete, back to Twitter here. Brett Desmo Williams is at BW Desmo says, just another fantastic episode. No huge surprises, yet we were very entertained. Suburb storytelling. We knew Carl was the guardian. We knew Giorgio had to get back to section 31. Bravo, disco, bravo. Uh, we also heard from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo 1983. When is a backdoor pilot not a backdoor pilot? When you give Emperor Giorgio the best send-off ever. Great acting, writing again. Star Trek Discovery is knocking it out of the park this year. Uh, And that tweet was responded to by Nicholas Andrew. That's Shepherds 5. It was honestly pretty damn fantastic and impressive that even though we know a vehicle was planned all along for Philippa, these two eps serve as pretty much a perfect finale for her. And if it were the last time we saw her while extra bittersweet, it would not leave me wanting. Uh, we heard again from Brett Desmo Williams, who said, uh, all that said, I cannot peg Vance. He's supportive and smart, yet bad guy vibes just can't clock him. And uh, the aforementioned Spider-Ham Lincoln agrees. There's something a little untrustworthy seeming about Admiral Vance. Yes, there's definitely a vibe. So, Pete, I'm going to ask you now to make a spoiler Pete prediction. Hopefully not a spoiler Pete spoiler. <laughs> Does Vance turn by the end of the season? Is he secretly the chain? No, I don't I don't think he is. I, I just think they're trying to cast Starfleet in a different light in this new era, further, you know, making our heroes the heroes. If they return to the loving embrace of a of a perfect Starfleet, we'd be like all right, what's what's the cost? What's the thing they need to worry about? So I, I think they're doing it 
right we have some obvious issues with the way in which they're doing it which would seem to be a little bit more about the practicality and less about the performances and the story pete what do you have for us on facebook so brett williams has been busy there as well matt uh he writes in that Great episode, guys. Do you think Saru being on the wrong side of the decision with the Admiral, then being short with Book, is trying to communicate his struggling under new command? Fred highlighting him being rough with Book made me reconsider what they're doing there. Or it's nothing. I think that we're just seeing Saru making decisions where he places trust in his crew and sometimes he has to explain that to his bosses but his bosses also his boss has enough trust in him to continue the continue on the current course albeit with a little bit of friction fred okay with that pete let's go to the email inbox where we hear from uh derg the markalian who says as follows hi pete and matt i've never been too fond of mirror universe episodes myself I find the concept to be strictly a writer's plot device. That said, I admit that I admit that Discovery has made the most ambitious, if not the best, use out of them, and this two-parter is a good example. It brings forth a consequential story and character growth for one of the major individuals in the show and does it with good entertainment. Probably the best Michelle Yeoh episodes of the season because it allowed her to explore Giorgio's inner layers in terms of adjusting to the change in her personality apparently unexpected by even Giorgio herself, and Yo knocks it out of the ballpark. I'd like to make a comparison. I thought Lorca was a fascinating multiple-episode character in Season 1, until the last episode he was in, where he was disappointingly reduced to a cartoon villain at the Mirror Universe, evidently not having learned anything from his time with the crew of Disco. Giorgio, by contrast, was getting redundant with the constant snarks and hurls at the crew for multiple episodes this season, before clocking out also in the Mirror Universe, but with a much more meaningful exit to her run on Disco, notably manifesting with positive effects of her time with the Disco crew uh, that the Disco crew had on her. I'd love to have the happy medium between the two, a fascinating portrait like Lorca's throughout the episodes in the Prime Universe, with also a meaningful exit like the one Giorgio had in the two-parter. I hope that made sense. Thank you, uh, thank you to both as always, and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts, Pete. That from Dirk the Markalian. Absolutely made sense. Um, I think the writers clearly know what they have in Michelle Yeoh, and you want to get the most out of her. And that's one thing that this show consistently does. Hence the barbs, hence the the mean talk and you know the the emperor's outfits. I mean Matt, we didn't even talk about the the fur thing she wore in this episode. No, nobody else carries that off except Michelle Yeoh. With that, Pete, you know they got this storied actor, storied character actor Paul Gilfoyle to play the Guardian of Forever. I actually heard that they only went to him because our pal Fred from the Netherlands was unavailable to play this role of 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 timeless authority. Uh, but luckily, Pete, we can hear from our own guardian, Fred, right now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 10. 
Whoa, quite a heavy episode. I don't know if I like this alternative universe, the mirror universe so much. It, it was really dark and awful in the beginning and especially seeing uh, Soniqua Martin-Green, although she did it very good, this role, so dark, so angry, so... Well, I can imagine that the actors like it to get the worst out of yourself and, and play these roles, but I found it a bit too dark. Marvelous at the end was actually the interaction between Michael and Georgiou and this guy with the bowler. In the previous episode I had a lot of difficulties with this guy, this Carl, but here it was much better. And of course we get here the start possibly of a Georgiou own series here, a section 31 series, whatever, wherever she will be going. So that's a nice setup for that and getting rid more or less of Georgiou here. I really wondered that when season 2 ended. Like how do we get a section 31 Georgiou series when she is going to the future 930 years? But of course this is uh, the way that they can make that possible. Okay, I just saw the episode, so not very many other impressions so far. I really have to watch it the second time. That's all for me. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, wisdom there as always from Fred. Pete, I'm not surprised that maybe uh, he was a little resistant to the character of Carl. One guardian of forever must be suspicious of the other. But Pete, do you think actors like performing in the mirror universe as a you know not not the those who did the whole dance routine in the shuttle bay i mean when you see there's a section third uh pardon me when you see there's a mirror universe script how do you think the actors respond oh i mean how can you not love it you know you're gonna get the outfit and maybe a goatee and come on man killy's uh you know, makeup and the the whole swagger, like they they got to love it. I got to wonder if really this episode was a result of, hey, when when do we get to do that again? Uh, and then, Pete, I couldn't help but notice in some sort of grand convergence here, Fred <laughs> noting, how is one going to set up the Section 31 spinoff? We all wondered that at the end of the end of last season. Fred says, this is the way. Matt, if tomorrow uh, they announce in another Disney Investor Day, because they had so much they couldn't say in the one, and we've already had an announcement that was not in that because it was canned and they wanted to give it its own space on uh, Friday when people watched the post-credit sequence for The Mandalorian. So if you haven't watched that, make sure that you watch it. Um if Michelle Yeoh gets announced to her own uh, Star Wars universe show, um, yeah. So, Pete, before we start to truly wrap up here, can you make a prediction? When does the Section 31 show start to film? When does the Section 31 show hit Paramount Plus? Starts to film 2021. Uh, it hits in 2022. You're not going to give us months or even seasons? No, because I think, I mean, listen, I just mentioned Star Wars universe. What's what's concrete there? Uh, 
there's a movie that Patty Jenkins is uh, making that I know has a treatment. They're actually just finishing up, but that comes out uh, Christmas 2023. Everything else is done with a year and not a month or a season. So I think it happens as things are finished and as they can get them to us, no wine before it's time. Pete, how can people be in touch with you to share their prognostications for the show that I think we can all start referring to on social media as S31? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,721 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we will be back soon, as listeners on the Pop Culture Podcast know, to talk uh, the season two finale of The Mandalorian, the game-changing finale. Uh, if, however, you're here just for the Star Trek, we will be back next Saturday to talk episode 311 of the series. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. There's an iron fist and there's death.